For those of you that have already heard the sermon, the podcast begins at about 15 minutes and 30 seconds. You can stay if you stay. We're liable. We're liable to keep picking. So. Salisbury. That'll be the first time the cops ever show up to a church service. <laughs> <laughs> you guys keep it down. <laughs> Howdy, y'all. My name is Tiffany Keith. I'm the preaching pastor of Heartstrings, Bluegrass, Worship, and Wild Hearts. Welcome to Give God an Inch, where we open ourselves up to God's nudging. I will read one of my sermons, read, not preach, totally different things. What I write and what comes out on Sunday mornings are not the same. After I read the sermon, we are going to take a little bit of time to reflect on it what I said, why, and maybe what hit the cutting room floor. God, you are our strength and our shield. Our hearts trust in you. In you, we have found our courage. Our wild hearts dance for joy, and in our songs, we will praise you. Psalm 28, verse 7. And in our songs, we will praise you. Let us pray. Oh God, open us up. Open our eyes that we might see, our ears that we might hear. Open our hearts that they might be wild. And then, O God, open our hands that we might serve. Amen. When I first started attending church, my songs were not about praising God. Don't get me wrong, God was there. The first time I attended church was shocking to me. I had no idea that church music could be more than just a tiny choir that could barely sing. That music in a church could speak to a deep truth, could be loving and beautiful and moving. That day, my songs weren't praising God. The music is where I encountered the deep work of God's grace where I began learning of God's wild, extravagant love for me. For the first year and a half, I did not attend a church service, not one that I didn't shed a tear. I've always looked at that year as my baptism year, not because I was baptized that year, even though I was, but because the tears I cried week after week felt like the cleaning waters of baptism. They felt like God's presence holding me, healing me, inviting me to stop all the striving and scurrying and let God bring healing. Through time, that did shift. From my songs being only about encountering God's grace to my songs praising God, In our songs, we will praise God. We will praise God's love and grace and beauty and God's wild heart. 
week after week, we will come together and in our songs, we will praise God. As wild hearts, we will come together and in our songs and worship, we will praise God. But let me ask you, what does your praise look like? For me, my praise is in my preaching and digging in deeply to scripture each week, giving God my all as I sit and write words and bring them to you to consider with me. In my preaching, I will praise God. What about you and your life? Where is it that your life is given to God in praise? Maybe it's in gratitude, the way you live your life in gratitude through all the moments. Maybe it's the way you raise your kids or live in love with the hungry and hurting. Maybe it's graphic design or math or Excel spreadsheets. In our songs, we will praise God. In my preaching, I will praise God. What have you given yourself so fully, so deeply to that all you can call it is praise. (laughs) Really, take a moment to drop it in the comments. In, In my what, I praise God. And if you don't have anything right now, how can we help you find it? This is our sixth week to talk about this one short verse. This week, I realized that I have talked about it in bits and pieces this entire time, sections and phrases, but I haven't pulled it together. I haven't drawn an entire picture. So I want to take a moment to pull back to look at it all. I know you've heard this before, but let's hear it one more time. God, you are our strength and our shield. Our hearts trust in you. In you, we have found our courage. Our wild hearts dance for joy, and in our songs, we will praise you. We've heard week after week this song, Wild Heart. God isn't tame. Our God is free. God has no limits, no boundaries. That's the wild heart of our Savior. There's no distance God wouldn't go to chase us down, to bring us hope. That's the wild heart of our Savior. God's running, running to the ends of the earth. God stops at nothing till we return. We're coming back. We're coming back to God's heart. That is such a beautiful vision for the beautiful wild heart of God, for the one we come week after week to worship to encounter, to praise. This extravagant, beautiful love, this is our strength and our shield. As we take this journey through living, it is this wild, extravagant grace that we put our trust in, that gives us courage, that invites us to the dance floor to discover joy beyond understanding. It is this extravagantly boundless love that invites us to become wild hearts ourselves. It is this vision of God's wild heart that we, as a community, will strive to live into. I'm rereading one of my favorite book series. The Earth's Children's series has been part of my life for as long as I can remember. 
Maybe you've heard of the first book or two. They are the best in the series, The Clan of the Cave Bear and Valley of the Horses. This series is set in ancient times during that relatively short period of time when both humans and Neanderthals walked the earth. In the first book, Ayla, the protagonist of the series, has a child, a baby that is of mixed spirits, both human and Neanderthal. In the third book, The Mammoth Hunters, she finds herself living with new people, a new family, a new tribe, a group of 20 or 30 people without her child. But there is a kiddo that lives with them that is also of mixed spirits. She loves this kid, Rydag, almost like her son. She spends time with him, teaches him, helps him feel like he belongs more than he ever had. During the summer gathering with hundreds of others, Rydag finds himself the target of extreme bullying. Children that had been born of both Homo sapien and Neanderthal parents were so thoroughly dehumanized by both species. The cultures in the book called these children abominations, deformed. They were hated creatures that were unnatural and even talking about their existence was reason for feelings of disgust and fear. So when a crowd gathered around him, the people did what people do when they've dehumanized a group. They became less than humane, asking how the family could have, could have an animal in their camp, proclaiming that the child should have been left to die rather than cared for and nurtured. It is in this moment that Ayla stands alone, strong in the crowd, telling her tribe and the mob that she had mothered a child of mixed spirits. It is that moment that she discovers that the only thing worse, more dangerous than being an abomination is being the creator of one. It is this moment that she must stand with courage and strength. This moment that she risks being rejected not just by the crowds, but by her tribe, her family. That is the sort of courage I hope we have. Because standing in that moment, it is God we trust in. It is in that moment that we take a leap of faith, that it is our God that is our strength and our shield. And that is the man, woman in the arena moment. You remember it. Maybe you've heard the quote recently by Theodore Roosevelt. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, 
and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know vic victory nor defeat. So there is Ayla standing there alone, terrified and strong, defiant and free. One by one, her tribe stands, slowly at first, then in one mass, they stand by her, facing down the crowd, proclaiming their acceptance of Ayla and her past. Brene Brown has an exercise that I really do want you to do this week. No worries, it's pretty simple. I want you to take a piece of paper and write down the name of every single person in your life whose opinion matters. Every single name. The name of the people that you go to when you feel beat up, attacked, shamed, afraid. Those people that you know will accept all of you, even in your imperfections. If you are standing in the arena, if you are standing in courage and so vulnerable and look up to the nosebleed seats, you know, those people so far from the arena that they can't even see you, their names should not be on your list. In fact, your list is probably really short. It should be short. She recommends putting it on a one inch by one inch piece of paper. And every time you are uncertain and in need of support, pull it out. Your list should be short. The people's who opinions matter should be the ones that stand by your side, willing to stand in the arena with you, walk with you, take hits with you, support you. I hope that's what being a wild heart means, that our opinions matter because we've done the hard work of getting into the arena. We've stumbled and fallen. We are marred by dust and sweat and blood, and we know victory and we know defeat. I hope that the people you greeted earlier on Facebook or in person, that those good mornings were said to people that will, through time, be people on your one-by-one -one piece of paper. Here's my problem. The more and more I've thought about it this week, the more I've been troubled by the image of an arena. Don't get me wrong, standing strong in my hopes and dreams and beliefs often feels like standing in the middle of an arena, battles raging. But then if that's all it is, then I'm missing the beauty of dancing for joy and praising God with our songs. Maybe, maybe it isn't an arena. Maybe it really is a dance floor. God, wild and free, boundless and true and beautiful, inviting us to join, to find the courage to step out. We have a choice. We can sit it out or we can dance. The invitation is now before you. Church, will we dance? Wow. Really, really good sermon, Tiffany. I think that was the best of the series. No. I think it was. I, I, there, and when I think about initial reactions, the problem was I kept thinking, 
oh, this is this is what I'm going to talk about. Oh, this is what I'm going to talk about. Oh, this is what I'm going to talk about. My name is Kent Ingram. I'm pastor of First United Methodist Church in Colorado Springs and have the joy of working as a colleague with Reverend Tiffany Keith. Who are you? <laughs> My name is <laughs> Tiffany. The first, the first image that came, the most powerful image at the beginning was this idea of, of a year of baptism because of your tears. And, and the idea that praise comes after grace that praise isn't a, a forced, um, you, we don't pretend, we, we don't gin up praise. Praise is a natural reaction that comes when we know that we're loved and when we experience that in a deep and powerful way. So that was, that, that was, that was just a powerful image for me that, that you, you, you spent a year and a half learning that you were loved and, and out of that emerged your praise. Is that, is that right? Is that what you were saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's, that's what it felt like. It felt like, um, it felt like every tear was both acknowledging pain and hurts and, um, those places where I wasn't fully me and bringing those those parts of me into the wholeness of who I was and blessing them with tears, um, the waters of baptism that, that, um, I, it feels like baptism can mean washing clean and it felt like that, but not washing away. Hmm. Tell me the difference between that. I think washing away feels like like those parts of me that have been hurt like weren't accepted and and for me those tears instead felt like like being fully integrated like my hurts and my pains in my past and current ones didn't go away right instead they're totally accepted which feels in my life, very different. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, when you say that, it reminds me of you talking about being a wild heart and, and it's not an absence of scars, right? It's not an absence of, of pain. It doesn't, it doesn't take those away. It, um, but, 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 but it makes, it redeems those and it makes those part mm -hmm. of your beautiful story and your beautiful, your beautiful life. So that's. Redemption's like such a cool word to put on it. A cool like thought, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that was, I mean, that was the first thing, but, but then, then the next thing I thought, no, no, this is what I'm going to say was, the most important <laughs> thing. But was, was, I mean, music, music has power and we all know that music has power and music uh, moves us in ways that, that um, prose cannot necessarily, or, you know, argument cannot, is there just something about the way it affects our bodies and, I forget who it was, Augustine or Luther or somebody. I think Luther said that when you sing, you pray twice. I mean, there is a, a power to that. But it was interesting how, how you said that, that your praise may be in your songs or maybe somewhere else, that, that, that your, your offering to God of praise is your, is your preaching. And now, and, and I want to come back to that in a second. And, and you talked about how 
other people may have other things that, that when they engage in them fully, uh, that's their offering. That's their offering of praise to God. Say a little bit more about that. I thought that was, that was the next thing that kind of jumped out and got me. You know, I, um, I, I hope that all sorts of things in my life are praises. So Patty in the sermon roundtable this week, she talked about how just seeing a flower, how being grateful for, you know, a beautiful flower, how that is an act of praise. And I hope that's very true of my life. I hope when I sing songs that they're, they're an act of praise. I hope when I take a moment to see the beautiful flower and, and, you know, just raise a thank you to God. I hope when I get a paycheck and I give, you know, give back that that's praise, but there's one thing in my life that feels like I I've given my life to that because God has, has called me to it. Now I think it could change. I think it has changed through my life. I think I spend a lot of my life not giving any, like, not dedicating a portion of it to God. It's not a portion, but a thing. Um, but maybe earlier in my life, it might've been, you know, kind of felt more like my questioning felt like what mm -hmm. I gave my all to God mm -hmm. was praise. Um, right now it's preaching, like just the, the opening scripture on Monday morning and saying, okay, God, like, we're going to do this thing. Help me out. Cause I can't do it alone. Mm. You know, and there's a statement that I said in the sermon and I don't remember exactly what it is, but it, it felt true because the act of writing a sermon for me and preaching a sermon doesn't feel like, let me show off. Let me tell you what I know. Now, you and I both listen to sermons. We have heard sermons, experienced sermons, when the preacher is telling us what they know. And, and that doesn't feel like what I'm trying to do. Not that I don't do that, because we all do that every week. But, but to say, I, want, I, I hope I can get out of the way and invite the congregation into a conversation with God that's my act of praise. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, let me circle back to, to, to that a little bit. I, I think that um, by saying that your preaching is your praise, that means that God is your audience, mm -hmm. which, which is an interesting concept, isn't it? That the, if, if the gift you are making is not to the congregation, although hopefully they receive it as, as gift-like, but, but, but the gift that you're making is a gift to God. Uh, as you think about that, how, how does that affect, does that affect your preaching? It, I mean, is it, does it make any difference at all that God is the audience and not the people in the cars or in the pews? That sort of makes me want to cry. Um, there's something about that that feels really true. Um, it, it, and I, I feel myself sorting out this idea of um, 
striving for acceptance. If I'm preaching for the congregation, I'm striving for acceptance. I'm, I'm mm. striving for that, you know, the, the, the tears in somebody's eyes. And the, that's an amazing moment when I'm done preaching and I look in somebody's eyes and you could just see this moment of wonder. That's like, what just happened? Something beautiful in that moment. Um, or, or the letters, you know, and you get letters. I don't get letters, but you get letters all the time of how good your preaching is doing and how heart, how good heartstrings is doing, which is funny. Um, you know, or, or, you know, good job, good job. But the thing about that is, if I'm preaching for that, that wears off, mm. right? I, I mean, I would have to, I, if I guest preach every week, I can get that response every week. Mm. But in leading a communion, a community, you can't, it doesn't work like that. Like it wears off, <laughs> you, you know, the, the, um, but if I'm preaching for God, as, as God is my audience, I don't feel like I'm earning my way in or striving for acceptance or striving to be good enough, right? I just feel like I, I, am, I am playing my part. I am playing my part in a relationship. So mm. one of the things that did not make the sermon that ended up not making the sermon was um, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity talks about the Trinity. And in the Trinity, he talks about God not as one person, as something stable and forever, but instead of a dance. Yeah, so which is where it came up is the idea of dancing and, you know, that you have, you know, spirits and Jesus and creator, like, dancing with one another in relationship. And and that's our God. So instead of feeling like I'm striving, if God is my audience, I feel like I'm dancing. Wow. Wow. That's a great image. It's, it's funny when you talk about this, what comes to mind is that on the one hand, um, it takes some pressure off, right? Because, because it's not about pleasing the congregation. But on the other hand, it puts some pressure on. What, what does it mean to please God? I mean, to, to, offer, to offer an offering to God that is, that is pleasing to God. So, so you know, it's not about, it's not about accolades. It's not about making sure that people love you and you're not offending anybody, hurting anybody. But if you take it seriously, that God is your audience, then you want it to be your very best. I mean, you want it to be worthy of your praise to God. So I don't know. I don't know if it makes it easier or harder. (laughs) No, I'm about to take this on a total right turn. Um, (laughs) So when I first started attending, uh, it was not when I first started attending church. Um, It was early on ish. It might have been when I first started seminary or right around there. And uh, (laughs) Nadia Bulls-Weber um, known for her language in her sermons, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was talking to my mom, and you know, I remember, I remember, I can put myself there. 
you know, in her house in Leadville and in sitting in her kitchen talking about this pastor that I, that I, that I was listening to. And when I talked about Nadia cussing in sermons, like the, the, the look of horror on my mom's face was really just, oh my gosh. Right. She's like, I can't, that's not okay. That is not okay. And, and when that happened, what occurred to me is the difference between her being raised in church and my experience of church. And for her, her experience of church is, is what you're saying. You bring to church the best of who you are. Mm-hmm. You, you wear your Sunday best, right? Your dresses mm-hmm. and you're pretty and, and, you know, you don't use language. You don't, I mean, you just, you bring your best to God. And isn't that so different than this idea that you bring your all to God? Mm, yeah, it is different. That's a powerful image. So, cool. so do, if God is my audience, do I strive to bring my best or do I strive to bring my all? Mm. There you go. I guess you're all. <laughs> well, let's, the next, the next thing that I am, um, was, was you know, captured by in your sermon was the, the image that you offered around around the uh, standing strong that, that, that a part of our of our praise is found in our courage it's found in the in those moments when um, the world pushes in or, or the, you know, we find ourselves uh, at the end of our rope or in the, in the middle of the arena or wherever, wherever we might find ourselves and and um, and we find the courage to be strong. Uh, I, as you know, I'm starting to read that series that you mentioned, so I'm just barely into it. So it's interesting to hear sort of the sort of a little bit of the development of, of the character that I've become aware of. But uh, that was that was a powerful image, and, and and I know that I'm starting to read it because you had mentioned to me how seminal it was in your life, and you mentioned that in your sermon as well. Um, I, I don't want you to talk about the whole series, but but at least at least the courage part of that series. What was inspirational to you about? Uh, that young woman and, and her courage and why did that draw you to, draw to so you? I'm gonna I'm gonna back up a little bit because you just said this in passing but um one of the things I needed to do with the sermon um which I because you said this I don't know if I did it well is that I want to transition cleanly from praise to a more full picture of the last a summary oh, of the last six weeks that's so correct. I, I mean, as much as the standing strong is praise, it's not just praise, right? It, it's, I'm hoping more of a full picture. Um, and you're right. I do remember that. I remember yeah. the transition now. Yeah. I know. It, that's a hard, it's a hard for me to say because I don't know that, that, that courage in that way was something in the sermon or in in the book series that I, that I really clung to. Mm. Um, There's a lot I can say in the series that identified with, with Ayla, with the, you know, main character um, curiosity and in a sense of innovation and experimentation and one, 
wonder. Um, but courage, I don't know if that really came to the forefront of, of my practices hmm. until I started really studying Brene Brown and her work. And, um, and, and at the same time, which I'm so grateful happened, um, I was in seminary when I really started kind of exploring her work more. So I, I had this dual path of who is God and who are we? These two questions that were happening. And um, so in her work, I find words that help me understand who we are with God in our relationship with God. And so now I feel like, cause I'm in, like I said, the third book of the series again, and I think there's three more after this. Um, it kind of goes downhill from here, but um, I, now looking back, like I, I, I heard, I listened to books. So I heard this scene in a completely new way than I mm -hmm. ever have. And in fact, um, I, it never occurred to me the parallels between, you know, these kids that are of two different species, basically, right? So Neanderthal and Homo sapien and, um, and, and the parallel between that and, you know, kiddos that, you know, have different races for their parents, Oh. Yeah, you know, th this, th and that's a new way for me to read this book and, and to mm. kind of put myself in different characters' shoes and in and in real life put myself in different shoes of of how harmful and hurtful people can be, not just then but now. In, in that moment of standing and courage. I, I don't do that very well all the time. And it's hard because I want to, yeah. I, I strive to, and um, being, you know, Brene Brown, obviously she talks about privilege a lot and, and she defines privilege as the, the, the ability to ignore it. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so, Ayla or any of the people in that scene could have just sat down and ignored it. They had, that was their privilege was to ignore how this kiddo was being treated. Um, and I do that, right? It's easy to mm. ignore it, to see it mm. and ignore it and to pretend like stuff isn't happening and to not be strong and, and, you know, apologize or acknowledge the ways in which like I've been harmful or hurtful or, you know, have the privilege to ignore it. So, so I guess in that sense, in the sense of courage, it, it is a newer practice for me in my hopes of, as I sent, set out this vision of being a wild heart, I think that's one of the ways in which I still need to practice becoming a wild heart. Yeah. And don't we all, we, you know, I mean, we're, I, I'm privileged more than most. And, and that's an interesting way to talk about the ability to ignore it. Um, pretend it's not there. That's pretty, that's a pretty powerful indictment, I think, on, on people like me and others who who do have that ability and often take the ability. 
Um, you, you, you went from that story or, or in the midst of that story, you went with the quote of Theodore Roosevelt and talked about the arena. And that was all very stirring and very powerful. I mean, to, to combine those two images made sense, <laughs> excuse me, in, in light of, of, you know, the story that you were telling. But then the shift at, after that to, to uh, well, let's, let's not talk about an arena. Let's talk about a dance floor. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm just going to throw this in here because I can. Um, there is right after the arena, I talk about, I, I move straight from the arena to, you know, Ayla's tribe standing with her mm-hmm. to the, to the one by one piece of paper. And I think as I was reading it, I'm like, oh, I put those in the wrong order. I, I think I'm going to stick with the arena and then go to them standing with her. Okay. And finish the story, just shift the order of that. Because yeah. I think, so give the, like, explain it and then illustrate it, right? Explain it yeah. and then tell the story. Because I tell the story and then I illustrate. So I'm going to switch those yeah. around. So instead of talking about a one by one piece of paper, I'm going to talk about people standing with her and then transition to a dance floor. maybe they're not just standing strong maybe it's the dance floor right yeah yeah and that 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 pulls it all back together right the whole the whole series now is is this wild-hearted god inviting us to the dance to be wild-hearted ourselves to be courageous to know we're loved to share our lives to to be there for each other in our community and as a community to be there for the community around us. I, I thought that was a, a beautiful way to end that. I, I, uh, I love that metaphor, that metaphor you introduced last week, I guess it was. And um, I, I think it works. I think it works for the, the picture you're trying to paint. Cause it's not, it, it's not a, an exhortation to do this or be this, you know, it's an exhortation to come and dance and dance mm-hmm. at its best. It's about grace, right? You know, it's, it's, it's about, it's about trusting your partner and and moving. So anyway, I I love the way that that pulls it together. That's really interesting. I I mean, because I mean, you use grace in a different form, right? Not God's grace, but there's a grace. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it, and it, you know, I mean, I, I don't dance either. Um, But, but, but there's something about, well, I, I mean, I, 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 you know, you'll roll your eyes, but playing with the band, <laughs> as I do on occasion, you know, there's something very um, wooden and, and um, tight when I first started playing with the band. I didn't want to make a mistake. I wanted to play the right chords. I, I wanted, you know, I didn't want to, to, to stop at the wrong time or start at the wrong time. And I was very um, rigid, you know, in, in my sort of approach to that. But, but that's not, that's not bluegrass music, right? Bluegrass mm. music is an invitation to, to dance, right? And I mean, it's, it's, it's more of a dance experience to play than it is in any other kind of music, I guess. And I find myself, the more I play, the more I relax and trust and live into that whole experience, that whole feeling. So I, I, I've not been on the dance floor much, but, but uh, that's the image that came to mind to me was come out and join the dance. And the first few steps, you might feel really awkward. <laughs> so don't make the choice anyway that's right you know but me, you know but 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 your partner you know god god's god's grace will rub off it'll rub off when you're dancing so i, I love the way that that pulled it together mm. so i end it with church 
will you dance? Yeah. I think is how I ended it. What do you think? Is is that the way? You know, church. What do you think? You know, will you dance? Is that the way to end this series? Is that the right challenge to end this? Se- okay, so end this series and head into Lent. Yeah, I, I, I exactly. I think I think that's the. I think that summarizes what you've been trying to do for six weeks. You've been trying to invite us into this grace-filled, courageous, brave, um, focused on God, praiseworthy dance. I, I, I just can't imagine a better way to do it, unless you end it with the song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, there, there is an opportunity here mm-hmm. to switch around the order of worship. Not the order of worship. I guess that's not it. Do you know how preachers end their sermons with the song? or with a prayer, yeah. you know, it, you, you bow your head, like, let us pray at the end of the sermon and, and what you do in that prayer. There's two different things you do in that prayer. You're either getting the band back up to the stage <laughs> right? Yeah. or you're summarizing your sermon for the people that didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Exactly. So if my band is already on stage, I could have them sing just part of wild heart, you know, and I don't know which part, like any of, like, I think there's two or three verses in it. Like any of those, I could just, Hey, will you sing this one? Yeah. You know? Well, and, and yeah, you could, you also, they, they have an extra song, right? You can just do the song and then do communion and then do the last song. And then the, you know, the drive away. I mean, usually they do two at the end. So I don't know. You, you think about that. But but I, I, I like the idea. Singing the song seems like a great response. Mm-hmm. To so however you do that, it, it, it is a part of it or the whole thing. And, you know, tell them to, they don't, they don't really need a drive away song if they've got they're because it's one degree outside because it's like down to four degrees i think here in town yeah you know a couple of people have started you know they're going to start worship again and it's going to be horrible weather you know so i hope people show up that's the that's the deal but I, but at least they're not sitting in their car so it'll be it'll be nice and warm we have some amazing musicians amazing <laughs> I'm so excited. Me too. It's this. really sad that this is going to come out after they've played. So this is a bad advertisement yeah. for, for me. <laughs> I know. Um, um, so I'm going from this series. I want to jump just for a second to the Lenten series. Okay. And I'm going to do, uh, we are for book, for the book studies on Monday and Wednesday, going to do Adam Hamilton's The Walk. Mm-hmm. And the sermon series is going to parallel that, but coming out of a sermon I preached a few weeks ago, it's actually called, um, you know, tell me you're a disciple without telling me you're a disciple. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we are going to go through the practices of our faith kind of thing. And um, I th- here's what I was thinking. Maybe this is a bad idea, but I, I am uh, this, the way Adam Hamilton, who is the pastor of the you know, largest Methodist church, he has a, everything set in fives. So I'll have to go look, but you like, you know, pray five times a day or um, like, good morning, God, good night, God. And once before each meal. So he has things set in fives and, and, and 
we have a tradition in this church from one of our you know children's ministers from years back that had prayer beads and the prayer beads were a way of counting so I'm going to make prayer beads to go with this series instead of going online. I'm gonna, you know, going to invite people to make the, the prayer beads you know, with us and then hand them out. I was wondering if I was thinking about creating a page um, to go with the, on our website that included each of the sermons, each of the practices, and then every time we had somebody come and visit as a welcoming gift, you know, give them the prayer beads and a link to that page that includes this because the series I just did was on defining a wild heart. But I think the series I'm about to do next starts showing us how. Mm. Okay, that makes sense to me. I mean, the, and Lent's a perfect time to talk about the practices. And, and it also, I think, I mean, there, there's always a lot of, uh, you and I've talked about this, a lot of angst amongst preachers around the so what question, you know, so, so, so what, what does it look like? What does this mean for me? And I think, I think people appreciate some specificity. Well, you know, here's how you put yourself in the way of grace. Here's how you find yourself uh, strengthening yourself as a disciple. And it's very specific, you know, about prayer or whatever it is, you know, meditation or journaling. It's, I don't know what, see, what the lists I, are. I, let me see if I can do this. It's a prayer. It's witnessing. I think the last week is witnessing. So the evangelism piece. Um, it's giving. So that's three. Um Two more oh, I will know by the end of the series. <laughs> a week ahead, won't you? I'll know a week ahead. <laughs> um, but right now, I know it. Oh, and serving. Okay. So it is is listening, which was really interesting. So he doesn't start off with worshiping. He starts off with listening. So prayer as listening and, and worshiping, which was mm. really interesting um so witness or i mean worship serving giving witnessing and i there's one more but no it's it'll be good i think for me and and i've already talked about this a little bit um it's gonna be a challenge for me because i am gonna have to put my actions where my preaching is yeah. And actually do some of these things like yeah. pray before meals and when I wake yeah. up and when I go to bed and yeah. worshiping a God, but yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, cool. and in, some, in some ways I'm not ready for this sermon series to end. I no. could do this sermon series more. Yeah. It's been very powerful. It's been, you know, it's defining. It's the vision <laughs> for what you think your church, your people, your community ought to be. So that's yeah. neat stuff good um so i think you should probably introduce yourself my name is kent ingram and i'm pastor at first united methodist church I'm, my name my name is kent ingram and i'm pastor at first united methodist church in colorado springs and have the joy of working as a colleague with reverend tiffany keith who are you <laughs> my name is <laughs> tiffany and i think we should 
send it back to the band. Let's hear them.